Welcome to Love in Black with Kareen Latoya. Hey, lovely people. Thank you for tuning in once again. Oh my gosh, episode number five. Yep, we are on episode number five, man. Wow, thank you guys. Thank you for coming back. All right, so no long thing from me today. Just to a little quick thing about today's guest due to lockdown very many individuals have been hosting open mic sessions on instagram and fortunately for me i was able to attend some and during that through that i was able to meet virtually of course uh, Akeem Lloyd so you're going to find out a lot more about Akeem after I finish <laughs> this part <laughs> but I I couldn't not ask him as scared as I was to ask but I couldn't not ask him like I needed to so yeah let's go So before I even go into all of the spiel um, interview and everything, um, mm-hmm. I realise that you actually know nothing about me. So I'm going to properly introduce myself now. Um, so I was born in Jamaica, grew up, um, grew up there, left there at the age of 11. So mm-hmm. that was 2001. And with that, that was also the year of my first performance, um, first performance as a poet. Um, so I'd been performing mm. along, like going to school back home was beautiful because you had that opportunity to be constantly performing. So I used to sing a lot with the school. And then we, um, so yeah, I entered a competition, ended up at, um, in DC for, it was called International Society of Poets. They had a convention, um, ended up there, which was beautiful. I was 11. I'm just doing my thing. The main, like, I remember mm. what it was like. I remember that whole atmosphere. I remember the, um, just the adrenaline rush that I got from it. Absolutely loved it. And I continued writing. Um, my uncle planted a seed in my mind from that age. <laughs> and he said to me, you need to write a book. Um, so mm. it was in my mind. But I don't know anything. I don't know how to go about doing this. Um, 19, I'm in university, did a manuscript. Um, again, I don't know what to do with this. I'm studying psychology at this time. Mm. And I remember at one point I thought, I can't do anything. I can't write. I can't draw. I can't sing. I can't do keys. Like what's going on? Really, really lost it. Mm -hmm. But I still had this manuscript. Didn't know what to do with it. Um, not until the age of 25. Um, I actually did the first book. So 24, I went out with a friend to a fashion show. Me, I am a human who just buys books. I see books, I get excited. Mm. Don't ask me if I've read like three quarters of the books, (laughs) but I own. (laughs) Like today I got a new one in the post. Uh, My girl Felicia, um, she's got a book, it's 
four years old, but I was just like, I'm buying that book. Um, so, you know, I bought a book, saw the publishing house. I said, all right, let me just try this. Let me send them off a manuscript. So it was basically what I had done at the age of 19, plus some new pieces. And sorry, sent it off and, you know, things happened. And then after a while, the guy was just like, no, we haven't got your stuff on file. And I'm just like, uh, what do you mean you haven't got it on file? I've sent you my stuff. We've had conversations about publishing mm. and all of this. So I learned from that mistake, you know, if anything, make sure you've got a contract before you even go any further with these people. But at that point, I said to my mom, do you know, what? I'm going to do it by myself. And I did it. So that first book, unfortunately, can't be um, bought from UK bookstores, but you can buy it from Barnes and Nobles because it was an American company mm. um, site that I did it through. Second book, um, I was going to do with another publishing house. The money was ridiculous. And I, fortunately, weird enough, fortunately got ill around that time. So I wasn't able to have that communication with them because I didn't know how to say, bruh, way too much money. I designed my book cover, so I'm not going to need to pay for that. I designed, um, not that, I've got an editor. I won't need to pay for that. Why am I going to pay 1K for, for other things that I don't need? You know, this woman then did a um, Facebook Live and she spoke about getting your ISBN and all of that. I was just like, so I was going to pay you 1K to get, don't worry. Went through all of that now, got that myself. And I was just like, I'm right, cool. So that book, UK bookstores, you can literally go online and find it there. Um, Sorry, all right, cool. I was like, by my third book, I am not going to publish if I don't have a publishing house. And mm. I was working, so throughout this time from, I finished uni, which was 23 years old. I was working in schools. So I used to work in secondary schools, which is with 11-year-olds through to 16-year-olds. And yeah, I got frustrated. I got frustrated. I hate the system. I hate what I see happening to the kids in the system. I remember the first school I was working in, um, there was this Portuguese kid and one of the members of staff, teacher for how many years, like, she was there when I was in school, right? I left this woman at that school when I was 16. I went back and she was still there. And she was like, oh, don't worry about him. He's not going to get very far. Excuse me? But you, what do you mean he's not going to... So little things like that. I took that um, young man under my wings. Like I was just like, no, you are. I'm going to ensure that you get something. Um, he wasn't assigned a teaching assistant, but I went to my line manager. I said, I'm supporting this kid. I'm taking him out of math lessons. I'm working with him from scratch. He's not going to get anything if he's in class. He's going to misbehave because he's going to want to be like his friends. If you take him out of class, he will do better. One to one, it works. So I had him for two years. And when I was leaving that school, it was so hard to say to him, do you know what I'm leaving? I almost cried. I'm not someone who cries. Mm. <laughs> I refuse. Like, mm. as much as I will say I'm a Pisces, I'm emotional. No. When it comes to crying, pause. No, I don't like headaches. So, <laughs> you know, it was really hard to say. And when I said it to him, he was just like, I'm coming with you. And it's just like, you can't come with me because I was going off to do my master's. So, you know, all of these things, just seeing it over the years and just different schools and different young men. And it's mainly the black boys. And I'm just like, nah, I can't take it. 
I can't take it. Like I really get emotionally invested in these kids. Like I'm not assigned to them, but I go out of my way for them. So I, I would take boys out of class and I'm just like, what are you doing? Like you are better than this. Like serious conversations to the point where when they go back into class, if they start messing around and I look at them, it's everyone else is unsure of what's going on. They're just like, what happened? But they know the conversation that I have with them. So I really, really got frustrated. I hate the education system in this country with an absolute passion. So it led to me starting up my company. So with the company, we're working on a production at the moment, do events, got to create um, a networking sector, which we just started up this year, which needs to be de- like properly developed, but COVID. And then there's the publishing aspect. So that's how book three is coming into play. Um, because I was just like, there's no way, no way I'm doing a third book without the company. So I've got that. Um, so book three, which is linked with the podcast, is called Love in Black. And mm. when I started writing this book, I was, it was weird. It was so strange. It's like, I just want to, I wanted to write it from the view of, no, that's the second book. <laughs> the view of a single woman. That's the second book. It's because um, I don't see very many black couples around. I know they exist, but in public, I'm just like, where the hell are you lot? Like, I I need people mm. to write about. Can you just <laughs> like, you know? So um, with that, and also I wanted a different spin on black love. I really wanted a different spin on it because you see a lot of stuff about black love and it's all relationships, but there's nothing about um, self love nothing about you you know very little about family love within families and love within um friendship groups and so on so i was just like why not do something different and set this um challenge for myself to write it as a novel so it's not just a poetry Mm. book because kareen doesn't do normal (laughs) i i don't do normal i don't know why it happens but um you know, I, I decided to do it that way. And I was just like, why not just do a podcast as well, where I could get, um, just speak about the topics, that, the themes that are coming up within this book. So for instance, one thing I haven't yet touched on is incest, uh, because that is something that the main, the character goes through. She goes through incest. Um, she's, so far she's had a miscarriage, like she abused what's it she abused alcohol and pills to induce this miscarriage like I went through and did hella research like can you lose a baby by doing this you know so all of that jazz um so yeah that's that's how the podcast comes into play and the reason I've asked you is because when you did um Black Boy Be Beautiful that first time you did that that first Friday night I came on your live and um witnessed that I was just like yo (laughs) yo (laughs) that piece right there it's so poignant it's so real it's so honest it's so needed and I feel like it resonates a lot with me because it's the type of stuff I write about and it reminded me of about Mm. five pieces or six pieces that I wrote about boys um, that I was working with. I got vexed. I had to invigilate an exam because these boys didn't know how to shut up and sit in class, <laughs> like sit in the exam hall 
without doing anything stupid. So they got kicked out. They had to do it um, separately. I was upset. I'm sitting in the room with them. These are boys that I've all spoken to, all of them, one-to-one. They've had mentors speaking to them. Like, you Mm, know, we've got streaming systems where you've got top sets, like form groups. And one of the boys, he was in the top set. This boy is still giving problems. Bro, what is your problem? You are smart. Like, what are you doing? You know, I've taken, um, I remember there was this um, white boy whom he had just started school and I had to um, deal with the new starters. And I said to him, look, everything that you've done before coming into the school, that's, that's all the past, you know. This is for you to go forward and do something great for yourself. Spoke to him. I asked him about his family life. He's from a single parent background. Because my mom works within the council, I know that each child has a unique pupil number and that follows you from childhood. And all of that is used to build a case around you. And I said to him, look, you do not want to be the statistic. Like, you're already the, um, the statistic. This is what they've already pinned you down. You're from a single mother home. They don't want you to pass. You, according to them, are going to fail. Now, you need to choose what path you really want to be on. Had a whole conversation with him. He was one of the boys in the room. So I was just like, do you know what? You like have vexed me. You upset my life. I'm going to sit here and write poems about you. <laughs> so all of those boys, they're all in the book. Um, so yeah, <laughs> like Black Boy Be Beautiful really hit home. So I went and I was on YouTube. I'm just like, no, I have to actually find this guy. But um, came across your TED Talks and I'm just like, yo. Yo. <laughs> like this whole being i was in the kitchen and i was just like nah this guy is something different i need to find some way something to like this needs to be done because you that you are um an individual whom i feel has a lot to say for everyone to hear really and right now I wouldn't say I have the um, the world of followers, but slowly but surely, and each time, you know, I get a new listener, they will be able to listen, you know. So yeah, like I racked my brain and racked my brain. I have like my Google history has a keyboard <sighs> in it. Like <laughs> I'm reading and I'm reading. It's I feel like I I'm studying for an exam on mm. you. That's how crazy it is. Like, I was saying it to D. I was just like, yo, D, I feel like I could pass an exam about this guy because, yo, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, mm. I have to really say, like, thank you so much for saying yes because I was shook to ask. I was so scared. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I really, really appreciate it. And, like, in the short space of time of seeing you and like everything that you've been doing I can only but say I appreciate you and I admire you greatly like your work the work that you have done like I thank you (laughs) like I thank you like none of those young people that you have worked with are connected to me in any way shape or form however 
they are mm. the future and what you have done what you are doing and what you will continue to do will impact their life so i thank you for that and i really really do thank you for taking the time out to do this with me today <laughs> so for yeah sure. for sure man no uh thank you like i you're right i, I definitely didn't know all of that i mean 11 years old to be told you know that you have the power and it and the influence and the words to write a book uh i it's it's i can only imagine how powerful that is to be told at 11 years old that like you like you have a talent that needs to be shared uh cuz i know at 11 years old i wasn't thinking about that um let alone being told that and so kudos to your uncle thank you for sharing that and to be so young and have the opportunity to travel and do you know what uh what you do now what what we do um man that's beautiful i i uh i see or i can put it into context for me when i think about sports right sports has a traveling program for young people to travel and play sports mm. and uh it it was an opportunity for me to do what i love to do while getting exposed to different places right uh, and so that's so so powerful man um yeah like i mean when you asked uh by then i felt like we had already yeah we we did, like you i didn't know that about like your work inside the schools and you know like your youth but i felt like we were still close enough you know what i'm saying that we had built something so strong that th- there wasn't ever going to be a no you know what i mean like you could have asked me this <laughs> any any time last week and i would have said yes like okay. uh like the week before last week and i would have said yes and so th- that that wasn't even like an option for us not to do this um you know hearing why this even started just makes it even more powerful and 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 more you know more like I feel more honored that that you asked me because um there's a lot of artists that I'm sure you've gotten a chance to either follow or meet during these lives and um to be one you know that you ask to join you on this on your platform um really 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 means a lot so thank you for for seeing me as a uh, as someone that you wanted to even have i really appreciate it um and, and so when you said that you were speaking to d is that like this you talking about tish no d dialectic d little d oh uh, oh oh d d yes 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 d d yes 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 um, <laughs> Because, yeah, like, she is also one of the reasons I started this um, podcast. Like, my the way my brain works, I tend to just run with any idea that's out there. Especially if I have a friend who is going to be like, yeah, Kareem, go for it. And I'm just like, are you, are you really sure? <laughs> but I still do it. And I then forget to think about everything else that I need to do, everything else that I have going on. So I'm just like why not you know and d was just like you'll be dope you'll do great like just go for it sis just go for it you know so like i definitely like give big props to her you know she's a lovely young lady and 
just yeah like I have I literally okay. have friends who are just like Karine just do it just do it yeah I like that <laughs> I like that it's dangerous as well because I yeah to sit down sometimes I sometimes I do need to just kick back and say all right Karine look at what you have to do before you go getting yourself into any trouble <laughs> and mm. make sure that you are not taking up too much um but I've got some amazing people around me and like God be praised, God be praised, you know, mm. like working on books for the company as well. I've got um, a friend of mine who will be editing the books, you know, so I have people that are doing things whilst I'm meant to be focusing on writing the book. <laughs> so mm. I need to exercise self-discipline and stay away from some lives maybe <laughs> mm. um but yeah I'm just like I'm very wild at the moment I'm very very wild about everything um despite the circumstances and despite how crazy it is like I'm literally just calling it the beauty in disruption because that's mm. what it is just to be to be able to connect with people whom I would have never connected with you know, I don't know, I, I don't, I can't think of any other way I would have been able to connect with you. Um, you know, Love and Light is hosted by Tanita and she's in Missouri. How, I, I would never, you know, so I am so like grateful for the moment and yeah, just, just despite everything. So enough about me talking about myself. I think that's enough. Um, I'm not going to spill out everything that I've um, read about you. I want you to do the honours and just tell the people about Akeem Lloyd and the work that he's done. About Akeem Lloyd. Uh, well, are, are, there, are there any guided questions or you just want me to start talking? Just go for it. <laughs> okay. How much time do we have left? Just in um, case this... I can leave some time for questions. Yeah, just seriously, just go for it. This is not mm. going to cut off at all. Got you. Okay, well, I'm still going to check the time because I know that we just, like, allotted for, like, an hour. and Yeah, and you've okay, got something so to do with it. Okay. So, um, uh, I guess I, I have to start with the foundation, right? Like, my childhood. And, and I believe that... Um, I need to always start with my childhood yeah. because it's important for me to try to describe and share what, what, what foundational pillars plays a role in who I am today, both the cycles that I do my best to break mm -hmm. and what I still embody and embrace um, today. Right. And so, uh, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, but I was raised in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Uh -huh. um, I was uh, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. My mother is from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, her mother is from New York, and so a lot of my family on my mother's side still lives in New York. Um, but I was. Uh, Fortunately, my mom's mom 
may she rest in power, uh, saw that the environment that we were already in probably wasn't going to be the best environment for me to be in. Mm. And so she called my grandmother, who lives in Alang City, who was my father's mother, and asked her if she would come and get me and um, the middle brother. And so, uh, because I have two older brothers. Okay. So the middle brother and myself, we were picked up by our grandmother and we were brought down to Atlantic City. And so Atlantic City is home for me because that's where I grew up. That's where I spent, uh, you know, most of my life. And I embrace Atlantic City as being home. And so now this is where like the Akeem Roy like really starts to pick up because right. I, I'm being raised by my grandparents, uh, my father's parents, and they are um, what we like to refer to as, you know, old school um, so, and, and their approach to raising children, right? Um, my grandmother's from the South, and so she's a Southern, she's a Southern belle. And so um, the way that they did things back then was uh, extremely like to, to, right? Like everything had to be done. Um, and she, being a Southern belle meant that she also had experience picking cotton. Okay. Uh, and working the fields and um having to you know be a uh having to be an adult at a very young age right. um and so her 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 approach at life was 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 very much so like work ethic work ethic first right like she did like she, there was nothing that would stop her from doing something that she wanted to do yeah um and my grandfather, uh, who family's from the Bahamas, and so uh, I'm also Bahamian. He, they, he grew up in Miami, lived in the South, has family in the South, and then came up to Atlantic City. So between the both of them, their approach to raising us um, was very stern. Yeah. And I, I love them for everything that they uh, did for us, did for me. Uh, I believe that they loved me, but I also noticed what was missing. But I didn't notice what was missing until I got older, right? Mm -hmm. So I can reflect back on it now and say, man, like this idea of of love, of not love, of of people physically being there, but not actually being there, right? Mm -hmm. And so like my grandparents were there physically, and provided food and provided a house and you know um, clothes on my back, but they weren't there in a way that my personal development needed them to be. Right. And it wasn't until I got older and realized that the lack of social emotional support I did not receive played a role on how I viewed the world and how I um, grew up in it. And, uh, in some cases, how I still approach it on a day-to-day -day basis. Actually, in every case, I, no, not some, in like every case for me uh, is how I approach. Um, so 
as a child, uh, I grew up in a silent household. And what I mean by that is um, in my household, my grandparents, my brother, folks who came by, like other family, relatives who came by, they, we, we didn't talk about love. Right. We didn't talk about our emotions. We didn't talk about our feelings, right? Nobody was like uh, saying the words, I love you. Um, like nobody was giving hugs. Uh, and, and so not only was I um, like understanding silence in a way that I embraced, but I felt like I was also being forced to be silent because I had a speech learning curve, right? I had a speech impediment okay. uh, where I stuttered. And because I stuttered, I couldn't finish sentences. And I also couldn't read at a very early age, young age. And so there's, there's the uh, hurry up and spit it out, right? Hurry up and say what you need to say. Like, hurry up and like, get it out already, right? Where being so young there is no hurrying up to get what i'm trying to already get out <laughs> you know what i'm saying and so feeling like because i can't meet the standards of of what i felt like was my community my family and society's will of communication communicating i felt like i was being silent yeah. And I also take, I, I take ownership in silencing because uh, uh, no one ever said, shut up, right? I just said, you know what? I have nothing to say, mm -hmm. right? Like, be, because I can't get it out in a way that, that it's being accepted, then there's no point of talking at all yeah so i was battling with what i believe society's um perception of of my way of communicating and then i was also battling the silence and embracing the silence that was in my household and then on top of that um i was uh i had this speech learning curve that that like played a role in how much i was even able to say when i started talking Mm. So I just completely shut down. That silence plays a big role in the Akeem Lloyd today. And, and, and so I'll touch on that. After, after that, right? Uh, so that's, that's a traumatic experience within itself. Yeah. And then to, to not have ever heard the words I love you um, being a child and growing up, not uh, ever being embraced with like physical love, hugs and things of that nature, to, to not having the kind of social emotional support that I needed at that moment in my life, that was a traumatic experience. Mm. To then, uh, getting to third grade and begin to be bullied by two brothers who lived along the path that I needed to take home. And every day they would chase me. A lot of days they would catch me. They would rough me up, beat me up, right? 
uh, not that I would go home with black eyes, but they would like, you know, um, uh, punches to like the body, mm. right? Um, one day they, uh, they caught me and they wrapped me up in this dirty ass mattress. I remember like vividly to this day, they wrapped me up in this dirty ass mattress and threw me and the mattress into the dumpster, took a gun out and said, I dare you to move. And I was in the third grade, which is primary school, right? To you all. How old which third you? grade, third grade, I was, I was no more than eight or nine. Right, because okay. kindergarten you're five, first grade you're like six, seven, second grade you're, you know, seven, eight, third grade you're like eight, nine. So, to have a, the barrel of a gun in my face at such a young age, I'm wrapped in this mattress, I'm in this dumpster. They close the lid, they walk away. So here I now was experiencing physical harm, mm. right? physical harm in a way that I was not able to like express because of the silence. Yeah. Right. See the connection there, right? Because I was already silent and I had already embraced this side, this, this, right. When, when the bullying and the physical harm came, I did not have, I wasn't, I didn't feel empowered. I wasn't confident. I didn't have the language to talk about what was happening. So when I finally did leave this dumpster and go home, when my grandmother asked me, where was I, right? The best I could tell her is that I was outside playing. Which mm. I knew would get me, which I knew would like get me into trouble, right? Yeah. But how do you at that age tell your grandmother who was upset that I wasn't home when I was supposed to be home, right? Um, that I I just was you know a couple hours ago I I just had a the barrel of a gun you know, uh, in my face and I was wrapped in this dirty mattress and I've been bullied since the first day of school. I've been, you know, physically harmed since the first day of school. Uh, and and, and this, this bullying happened third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, so for three years. And I had, I never said anything about it. Mm. Um, I was a very curious boy. And that curiosity stemmed from me trying to understand the world around me yeah. and the structure of which I was living in. Okay. Because my, my school was diverse before I was mature enough to understand what diversity was. Yeah. So now I'm trying to understand why there are some women who are wearing hijabs and some women who are not. Why there are people in my family who do and other people who don't. 
I'm trying to understand why some kids are being walked to school by their parents and I am not. I'm trying to understand why my mother is not there, why my father is not here. And at the same time, like, and mind you, like, I'm, this, like, this is me at a young age. Like, I'm already inquisitive, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and like sitting in inquiry, except I wasn't expressing the inquiry. It, I was processing it. This also plays a big part into who I am today. Um, and so after I get through the phases of being bullied, right, um, I get to seventh grade. And in seventh grade, I received my first F. Okay. And when I did, it was also the first time that I started to believe that the stereotypes that I had heard about young black kids, young black boys were true. Mm. That I wasn't good enough to achieve academic success. That even though I had performed pretty well academically up until that point, seventh grade was the year I started to believe that I wasn't good enough for college. Mm. There wasn't no point in going. I, I, I gave up uh, not only on my aspirations to go, to go to college, but I also gave up on academics, period. Okay. I, stopped, I, I stopped putting in extra effort. Um, that played a role in who I am today, right? And so very quickly, I just want to touch on some of the main points that I mentioned so far. Silence, inquiry, academics, social emotional wellness. Yeah. I go throughout eighth grade, um, doing the bare minimum. 9-11 happens. And so now I'm processing, right, the world on a much larger scale. Um, I start high school. When I start high school, sports had became my safe haven. Mm. It was it was my home away from home. And although I was still silent, I was able to express myself through my work ethic. Yeah. And so I worked really hard to release whatever pain or 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 frustration that i had and um from there i continued to just cruise cruise throughout high school doing the bare minimum but before i get into what happened my junior year um let's i want to go back to eighth grade because in eighth grade i had a teacher named mr kearney and I'm mentioning him now because he, he, he comes up later in life as well. Mr. Kearney was my English teacher. And Mr. Kearney challenged me to be great. Before, like, I understood that this is what he was doing, right? He was challenging mm-hmm. me to be great. I thought he was just getting on my nerves. 
And so like, like a lot of young people do, when a teacher is coming off what we believe is too strong, instead of seeing that that teacher or individual loves us, yeah. we see it as they're picking on us, you know what I mean, that they're being too hard on us and whatnot. Yeah. And so my relationship with Mr. Kearney in my eighth grade year wasn't one that I was like really embracing. Um, but I never forgot the standard that he held me to. Yeah. I also want to note that by eighth grade, majority of my teachers were teachers of color. Okay. Okay. Um, high school comes. Freshman year, I'm bare minimum. Sophomore year, I walk into my English class and it's Mr. Kearney again. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if I can curse, but I was like, dang, um, it's him again. But Mr. Kearney continued to hold me to this high standard. And he continued to challenge me to be a better Akeem Lloyd. And uh, I once again thought that Mr. Kearney was like, picking on me. He was getting on my nerves. Um, 10th grade ended and 12th grade arrives. I walk into my English class and it's Mr. Kearney again. At this point, I'm like, why God? Why you keep doing this to me? <laughs> like, why God? Like, I've already had this man twice. Are you going to give him to me again my senior year, right? Where I was already planning to skip classes, cut school. So he chose you. He chose, you. He chose me. So uh, 12th grade years when um, a lot of things started to make sense. Yeah. And here's why. Not only did I have Mr. Kearney in 12th grade, but I also had a woman, a black woman, who petitioned to start an African-American literature class. And she handpicked 15 students to be a part of this class. So I was if, extremely fortunate to be one of those 15 students that she chose. Because it was during this year where for the first time in my life, I had someone Ask me, Akeem Lloyd, who are you? Wow. She asked me this question every day. Every day, Akeem Lloyd, who are you? Mm. And when I tried to give her answers that were very, um, very cover, right? Like, like, you know, surface level, right? I'm Akeem Lloyd, no. <laughs> I'm Miss Mary's grandson, no. I'm a resident of Atlantic City, no, right? Throughout the year, she talked about how proud she was to be Gullah Geechee. Now her bloodline from these, these individuals who came over from Africa okay. and settled South and, and, and embraced their culture 
and spoke their language, right? If you were to Google Gullah Geechee, you'll be able to learn more about them. But she talked about her, 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 her love for understanding that this is who she was. This was her bloodline, right? These were her roots. And would once again say to me, now Akeem Lord, who are you? And I had no answer. This is extremely important for who I am today. She would say to me, Akeem Lord, you, you are a profound brother and your facial expressions of, uh, can be distant, mm. but I'm not going anywhere and you're not going to push me away. And she spent that year doing her best to get close to me as much as possible. Wow. And wow. so I, uh, I want to talk about proximity and the importance of proximity because it wasn't until ninth grade where I allowed for me to have my first mentor. Okay. So through, through, through all the traumatic experiences I had up until that point, it wasn't until ninth grade where I finally opened myself up to a brother who was a person of color um, and, 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 and allowed him into my life in a way that allowed me to speak about the pain, the hurt, the frustration, the mm -hmm. family trauma that I was experiencing that, that I wasn't sharing with anybody else, okay? And it was, it was his words to me that changed the way that I perceive and understand vulnerability. Yeah. This is also big for who I am today. Yeah. Because it was him who said, Akeem, there is nothing unmanly about crying. Oh. There is nothing unmanly about expressing yourself. There is nothing unmanly about allowing people to hear how you feel. Because we are all humans. And that is what humans do. We cry. And it was the first time that someone had ever invited me, encouraged me, and supported me to cry. To open up to express myself. And although I was still struggling with the concept, I never forgot it. Mm. So now fast forward. Yeah. Fast forward, be, I, I, I now started to allow other people to get close to me. Right. Um, but on my own accord, right? Mm. So she was able to look to look at me and see the distance in my face, the distance in my face. But she, she knew that in order to get close to me, she was going to have to work. And so she did. And 
uh, I'll never forget her because her allowing me to be a part of that African-American literature course allowed me to start to process what Black history meant, okay. what African-American history meant, right? Mm. Um, Mr. Kearney in 12th grade, one day I was, uh, he took me to an opera and I met Sonia Sanchez that day, I'll never forget. And uh, <clears throat> on the way home, on the way home, I said to him, I don't know how I will ever be able to repay you. And he, and he said, when you have the opportunity to do for others, like I have done for you, just do it. Mm. And that was the only thing he said, which is another big part of who I am today. Because I need you to understand, I need, I would like for people to, I don't need y'all to, I don't need you to do anything you don't want to do. Mm. But whoever hears me talk about my story, I would love for them to understand the message that, that was shared that day in that car. Yeah. When you have the opportunity to do for others like I have done for you, just do it. I didn't understand it then, but I think I'm starting to understand it now. What I refer to as a social responsibility to lift as you climb, as they say, a social responsibility to give back, not only to your community, but specifically to young people. That was the message I got that day. And so I live my life in a way that every day I wake up is an opportunity for me to serve, to support, to help young people the way that he and other mentors, teachers, adult figures helped me mm. become who I am today. He did not say, wait until you're a millionaire. He did not say, wait until you're financially stabled. Mm. He did not say, wait until you have your life together. He said, when you have the opportunity to do for others, like I have done for you, just do it. What that said to me was, I don't need $100,000 to go tell a young black boy that he matters. Mm. I don't need $100,000 to go tell a young black girl that she is important. Yeah. To go tell a young person of color that they can be who it is that they want to be. To go tell someone who is LGBTQ, TIA plus, and a part of that queer community right mm. that their life matters that as long that i as long as i can speak and do with whatever i have then i can make a difference yeah junior year of high school i started running cross country 
I also started running track. And my coach at the time said to me, if you stick with me, I'll help you get into college. Okay. I was a junior in high school and it was the first time that anyone had ever like made it their like sole responsibility to help me get to college. And so I ran, I ran cross country, I ran track. Um, I have story for days, but I'm also considering how much time we have. Maybe another day. But he kept his word. And after, during the course of my senior year, he and Mr. Kearney worked together to help me get into college. Wow. So fast forward, senior year is about to end and Mr. Kearney comes walking into the gym and he says, Akeem, what in the hell are you doing? You haven't applied to any colleges. You haven't sent out any, you haven't done your FAFSA, right? Toya, I told you in seventh grade, I had already given up. Mm. And so even though these people were like pouring into me, what they didn't realize or know is that I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm accepting all of this like love that they're giving me, but on a, on, on a deeper level, I had already given up. Mm. And so him coming into the gym that day was another reason why he is one of the most influential people in my life because he never gave up. He never gave up. And so I sit down with a college uh, admissions for a summer program. And that lady says to me, Akeem Lloyd, we don't have any more spots for you, but we're going to make a spot just for you. Wow. And so they did. Wow. They found the money to pay for whatever services they needed to pay for to allow an extra student to be a part of that summer pre-college program. That is beautiful. The reason, why I'm the reason why I'm sharing this story is because I told you that I also gave up on my academics and stopped trying. Mm. Well, it, it was in this college program that I realized just how much I messed up oh, wow. <laughs> because I wasn't academically prepared, Toya. So while everybody was doing what they was doing, I was getting F after F after F. Now, I had already promised this lady that I was going to, uh, I wasn't going to let her down. And I had told my grandmother that I was going to go to college to get a great education. And here I was before college even started, already about to get kicked out of a program because I wasn't performing well academically. Wow. The math teacher came to me one day and said, Akeem Lloyd, you're gonna fail out of this program. And I went back to my dorm room during break. I looked in the mirror and guess what I said to myself? I asked myself a question for you. Who are you? Akeem Lloyd, who are you? Who are you, Akeem Lloyd? Because you're not an F student. You're not a D student. You're not a C student. 
who are you? And I went back to class and I, I waited till everybody left class and I went up to the teacher and I said, if you give me another chance, I won't let you down. Mm. And I remember she gave out 10 questions for homework. And I said, miss, can I have 10 more? Toy, I'm gonna tell you how crazy I was. I took 20 questions back to my dorm room. Mind you, this is a Friday. So while everybody got the weekend, they're going out, enjoying themselves, having fun. I took those 20 questions and I did those 20 questions a hundred times wow. over the course of the weekend. The same 20 questions. So when I went back to class on Monday and I turned in my homework, I went back to class. I went back to class on Monday. I turned in my homework and the teacher asked, who knows the answer to number one? Guess who hand went up? Who, who knows the answer to number two? Guess who hand went up? Who knows the answer to number three? And what eventually happened was Toya, every time she gave out homework, I went and asked for more. Mm. If she gave out 20 questions, I waited till everybody left class. And I said, miss, I need 20 more. Mm. She gave out 15, miss, I need 15 more. Why? Because it had finally registered with me that I had the opportunity to break the cycle, mm -hmm. to be the first person in my family to walk across the stage with a, with a four-year college diploma, to do something that nobody else in my family had yet to do, to be a part of a statistic that wasn't the statistic that I started to believe in in seventh grade. I started, I started to understand that my education was going to be something that I made of it, but I had to take ownership of it. And so I started putting in the amount of effort that I needed to, to, to pass that summer program. Yeah. I went from, I, I went from almost failing out of that program to not even having the opportunity to go to college, mm -hmm. to graduating that summer program with the highest math grade out of my cohort and getting the opportunity to start college. And when I did, life will always remind you that you are only in control of so much yeah and that's what happened because when i started college for real for real i lost my grandfather mm. the responsibility of my academics increased see that summer program was only two classes College was four on top of my running responsibilities. Yeah. On top of the fact that I had still yet to learn certain skills such as time management and et cetera. And so I was struggling. Mm. 
when my grandfather passed away, I told myself that I needed to go home. And that it was time for me to drop out of college. Hmm. College had just started and I was ready to go to be with my sisters, to be with my family, my grandmother. So I was, I, I called my track coach up to tell him that I was leaving. And he said to me, Akeem Lloyd, I can't keep my promise if you don't keep yours. What did he mean by that, Toya? He meant when he, when he told me that if I came to that school to run for him, that he would help me run faster, that I would get the opportunity to travel the world, mm -hmm. that I would graduate with a college degree. He can't keep his promises if I don't keep mine. I decided to stay. And so I did. And that semester, I finished with a 1.3 GPA. Mm -hmm. After that semester, my track coach said, why don't you, why don't you take some classes that you actually like have interest in? Yeah. I remember the African-American literature course. And so I started taking African-American study classes. Lo and behold, it changed my life. Yeah. Because it was in that moment where I realized how much, uh, how much emphasis, how much of a, like, how much of a interest I had in wanting to learn about our people, okay. our history, our culture, our survival, right? And I'm, I majored in African-American studies and I went from a 1.3 GPA to a 3.4 in three years. I graduated uh, and I became the first person in my family to walk across the stage with a four year with a four year degree. And on the other end of that stage with my grandmother. And I walked up to her. I said, This is for you. I reached out my arms and I asked her for a hug. The first hug that I had ever received from my grandmother came when I graduated. From Rutgers University Camden campus and uh, that was a big moment for me because now what shifted what shifted in me was what I learned during my college years is that education is extremely important for our people yeah to be educated Right, not just education, not just getting a four-year diploma, but to be educated, to be diverse in a number of different topics. But one of those topics and, and fields needs to be our history. Yeah. 
I also learned that working with youth and working with young people was going to be something that I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Because it was in college where I was coaching a women's basketball team. And uh, we lost every game during the summer camp, during the regular season. Mm. But every team made the playoffs. So I had this group of young girls from sixth grade to ninth grade. And I remember pouring into them the way that I was poured into. And we ended up winning the championship, Toya. <laughs> Lost every game, but won the most important games that matter. Mm. What is the lesson here? Is that you may have challenges throughout your life that feel like a loss. But if you are able to continue to push through those challenges, the most important wins will always come. And it will always come at the right time. It was at that moment where I realized, I think I have, I think I have a gift with working with young people. Mm. And so I left college, went on to grad school, um, got my master's and uh, became homeless. Now, before I talk about being homeless and achieving a second degree, I want to also note that love and my relationship with love was still all over the place. Yeah. Um, so here I am living inside my car. Uh, I sell the car to somebody who was living under me, right? And so the car that I had was still parked in front of the apartment I lived in, but also was asked to leave. But the landlord didn't know that that was my car. Okay. And since the landlord never really came around, me being able to sleep in my car in front of his building was fine. But the person who lived under me is who I sold the car to, because I'm like, all right, you're going to pay for the car. That's going to be enough, at least some money for me to have in my pockets to maintain. The person said to me, I'm, I'll give you 300 now or 250 now, and I'll pay you the rest later. Okay, cool. Um, one weekend, I left. And when I came back Sunday, the car was gone. They were gone. <laughs> they took the car and left. And so now I have the, the little bit of money that they gave me. And now nowhere to call home because the car was home at that point. So I started sleeping inside of 30th Street Station, which is the train station in Philadelphia. And every day I would wake up and I would walk to Temple University's library and apply for jobs. And, and during the evening, I would ask my friend if I could come to their on-campus apartment, shower, brush my teeth, stuff like that. 
it was the first time in my life that I embraced faith. Mm. Because it was faith that I leaned into so much that helped me get through the three months that I was homeless. Mm. Because it was faith that I said something, something other than sleeping on this wooden bench is meant for me. Mm. Something else is, is going to happen that's going to allow me to, to resurface from what this, this situation is. This is not my final destination. Mm. And, and it happened. Applying to all those jobs. Three months later, I got, three months after I became homeless, I got a job offer. And it was a job offer that allowed me to work with youth inside of schools, doing what I also love to do. And the rest was kind of history because the organization I was able to grow up in, mm. the organization I was able to, to take the lessons that I had learned at a young age and begin to apply them on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Um, I was able to do a lot of reflecting, a lot of, you know, personal growth, a lot of self-love. And uh, I stayed with that organization for four and a half years, um, from Philadelphia to Providence, left, transitioned out and started a leadership journey, started Akeem Speaks. And uh, although I still have challenges um, being an entrepreneur, being a social entrepreneur, being um, a founder and a CEO of an of a, uh, organization led by people of color, I remember Mr. Kearney's words. You have the opportunity to do for others like I have done for you, just do it. Mm. And so every day I wake up, Toya is an opportunity. And now I have young people who are relying on me to do for them like others have done for me. And so the leadership journey addresses mental and emotional wellness. I mentioned that earlier in the call, why it was going to be important, why it plays a big part of my life. Yeah. It, it addresses education. I mentioned why education was so important and why it plays a big part of my life because I understand I can't, I can't allow my people young people who look like me who allow me to be a part of their life to not be challenged and held to a standard like like my mentors held me to a standard i can't it would it would i like it would be remiss if i did not incorporate 
the importance of education when mm -hmm. I when I work with these young people. The importance of being educated, excuse me, right? Because I, I want to me there is a difference. Yeah. Um, and a leadership journey addresses, right? And, and so with that, we are sparking this inquiry, this interest into learning more. Yeah. Um, Akeem Speaks is my business that allows me to travel the world to facilitate workshops on mental and emotional wellness, the importance of ownership, academic and educational ownership. Um, and so I'm trying to do my best with what I have every day by creating spaces that bring me joy. Yeah. Now, I, I know that this is a podcast and you're going to share it out. And uh, so um, there's a part of me that believes I should talk about a leadership journey more. Um, but I also want to pause here because I'm, I'm looking at the time yeah. and uh, answer any questions that you may have. Um, do you know what? I feel honestly like just listening and everything. It's just like, I feel like this could be a two-part, a three-part thing because there's just so much to it there's just so much to you and it's like everything like when you were speaking about um the silence for me it's just like it makes so much sense now why my piece find your voice resonated so much like I saw it in you and it's just like I get why that resonated so well with you you know like just seeing it's like okay cool that all makes sense and like speaking about just the role of your teachers and the like the impact they had on you and still have on you has made me start thinking about how important and it is for young people and I think that's why for me within this country I'm just like it's so difficult for me to just be like yo this system works because I worked in a school where it was predominantly um, child, um, young people who were Muslims, a lot of mm. middle, um, Middle Eastern and North African students in this school, mm. like three quarters of this school. So when Ramadan, Ramadan end, ended, there was hardly anyone in school. Now, teacher, student, the teachers within that school were predominantly white. There were about three or four, probably a little bit more Muslim teachers on staff. Black staff, there weren't very many of us. And it's just like, how important are these young people to those who are in charge? Like, I just can't, I can't connect with it and just me, I really do like put my all into these young people that it hurts to see a system failing. And as a teaching assistant, there is so much that I can personally do. 
Like I'm not a teacher. I'm not um, in the senior leadership team. So my voice to the head teacher doesn't matter. And I know it matters to the kids, but it's just like, there is so much that I can give to them. Like some of the boys, like I took them aside on countless occasions and I spoke to them. And when I was leaving, I gave four of them a copy of my book. And I said to them, here you go. I signed it up for them. I said, there you go. I'm leaving, but this is for you. Not every, not every other young man in this school is getting this book. This is for you. Wrote their name in it, a note to them. And one of them, I saw him several times after leaving the school. And the first time I saw him, he gave me the biggest hug. And he's like, miss, I still read your book. So like with you speaking, firstly, you almost brought me to tears. That's a lie. There were tears in my eyes, like, but it's just like, I just see the importance of how, like, the importance of adults in other young people's lives, um, despite whether or not we are related to them. It's not just the, um, for me, it's not just my cousins and, you know, it, goes beyond and I appreciate you sharing your story I appreciate you for sharing your story because on it like honestly I don't even feel like I don't feel like there's anything for me to ask because I feel like you have mm-hmm. said it all like the whole I wrote the so question that I had down what role can we play in helping um, young people to be comfortable in their identity you answered that by speaking about your teacher who kept asking you who you are. And even that for me, that resonated so well because one of my young men, I took him out of class. He was the tallest in class. He was, let me see, there were 13, so yeah, eight. Tallest, his voice was already broken. And any little thing, he's the first one being caught out anything at Mm -hmm. all and at first I was so hard on him so hard on him and I realized that he used to go his mom used to work in the school as well he'd get in trouble and he'd go and spin a whole different Mm -hmm. story to his mom so (laughs) there was one day he was he was ready to do it I looked at him I was just like there is no way you are going to tell your mom anything that is in your head right now I am going to Mm. sit with her so you know I yeah I spoke with mum and took him outside after and was just like have you any idea of what your identity is I found Mm. motivational videos gave it to him told him over the half term this is what you're going to do I want you to watch them I want you to start thinking about them and after that I asked him when we got back to school did you watch them did how did they make you feel he's got a younger sister do you want your sister to see you as the person that you know everyone else sees you as what do you want her to see you as you know just those questions so i'm telling you i really appreciate you for your story i appreciate your teachers the work the seed that they have they sowed into you because you you are a light you are a light in this crazy world you are doing 
something that not many, not everyone can do it. Not everyone has a heart for it. And for you to do this, like you, you've, you have your story and through your story, you are creating like beautiful flowers. And I can't tell you how, Ooh. like, I'm going to have to like, let everything sink in before I go through all of this and like, you know, cut out the first yeah. bit. <laughs> so thank you so much, Akeem. I really, really appreciate this. Um, just like, yeah, I have yeah, no I appreciate words. appreciate you. I have no words. Thank you. Okay, so no poetry this week for you guys. I'm sorry. But, like, you've had food for thought this week. So, thank you for sticking around throughout this episode. Thank you for tuning in today. Thank you for sharing it. Just thank you. And, again, a big thanks to Akeem for joining I I am still speechless. So guys, have yourselves a wonderful week ahead. Love to each and every one of you. <laughs>